Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. That is basically the closure of the list for who is potentially going to be our next leadership contestant. Right, we can actually cross to Graham Brady now to get the latest on that. Let's go there. Proposed by Esther McVeigh and seconded by Anthony Mangnall. Penny Mordant, proposed by Andrea Ledsom, Dame Andrea Ledsom, and seconded by Craig Tracy. Rishi Sunak, proposed by Dominic Rabb. Seconded by Mel Stride. Liz Truss, proposed by Simon Clark. Seconded by Therese Coffey. Tom Tugendat, proposed by Amory Trevelyan. Seconded by James Daly. And Nadim Zahawi, proposed by Brandon Lewis. Seconded by Amanda Milling. Those eight will go to the first round. Uh, ballot uh, tomorrow between 1.30 and 3.30 with the results announced uh, as soon as we can uh, after that. Thank you. There you go. We started with 11. We've gone down to eight. Sajid Javid, by the way, is one of them that isn't on that final. Are you surprised by that? I've got to say I am. We'll be coming with all the details in just a sec. Darren McCaffrey's got his response to that. But also, just so you know what else is coming up in the programme, uh, today, another day and another report into grooming gangs. So they're called this town Telford. Uh, this report was commissioned in 2018. All of these things look backwards, don't they? My question to you guys today is, do you think we're doing enough in the here and now to protect young children from grooming, from exploitation, from abuse? I worry that some of this is still an ongoing situation that affects young children uh, up and down this country. Are we doing enough? I'll be talking to Maggie Oliver about that. And also, COVID masks. I mean, goodness gracious me, even that sentence makes me groan. But there's many people that are calling for the return of them. I say absolutely no thanks, but uh, some places, hospital trusts, etc., are bringing them back already. Should it be the case right across the UK? Where do you stand on it? I've told you what I think. Something tells me that my panel tonight, who are keeping me company, might have separate views, different views. Keeping me company, I've got Lawrence Fox, who's the leader of the Reclaim Party, and Kevin Craig, who's the founder and CEO of PLMR. And you guys know the drill on Jubes and Co, don't you? It's not just about us three. It's about you at home as well. I want you to get in touch with me. Uh, That's the topics for tonight. The leadership competition, the situation around the grooming gangs and the return of COVID masks. Where do you stand on all of that? Get in touch on email, gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at gbnews or at Michelle Jubes. Now, as you've just been hearing, or perhaps not, if you've just tuned in, the nominations have closed for the Conservative leadership race. Um, Let's just remind ourselves, shall we, of what that process is. Uh, The situation opened and closed, six o'clock tonight. The first ballot takes place uh, tomorrow. Any candidates that have got less than 30 votes will be out uh, the next day, the 14th. You've got your second ballot. And then next week, we're going to have... Uh, basically the rounds that are going to whittle us down to our final two candidates ready for July and August. You're going to have a vote then of all the Conservative Party 
members, with the 5th of September being the result of the final ballot. That lucky person there will be the leader of the Conservative Party and our Prime Minister. Got to be honest, I do not envy them. Ooh, do you? Would you want that job right now? Although I've got to say, the outgoing PMs, people like Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson, they make millions, I tell you, millions on the speaker circuit. Uh, anyway, I'll start with you, Kevin Craig. I've just been mentioning there, the eight that we're down to. Your thoughts? Well, I think, uh, Michelle, the uh, most dangerous out of those four, and I've got no, uh, obviously, vested interest as a, as a Labour Party member in this, but as a citizen, I think it's uh, Rishi, Liz, Kemi or Penny are the front runners there. That sounds like a band. Just, by the way, in case you're it could wondering... Be, if it all goes wrong. Yeah, just in case you're sitting there thinking, hang on, Michelle, when I uh, looked at the paper this morning, it was 11 people. Now you're saying eight. Who's the eight? Uh, Kemi Bairdenock, Su uh, Suella Braveman... Jeremy Hunt, Penny Morden, Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, Tom Tugendhat and Nadeem Sahawi. Lawrence, your thoughts? Um, Kemi, she's great. She's absolutely fabulous. She understands what the problem is, which is cultural. Uh, obviously, we've got, you know, cost of living crisis and soaring inflation and all this sort of stuff. But she understands deep down that the problem we have in the UK is cultural. And therefore, I am 100% behind Kemi Badnock. You're not messing around. You're already well, straight in there. You've got Kemi your Badnock candidate. Doesn't even know what a uh, not Kemi Badnock, sorry, Penny Morden doesn't even know what a woman is. She clarified that though on the hair Twitter. What the other by saying identifying legally a female? It's yes, like, there was... come on, babe. Honestly, it's like you're a girl, you're a boy, otherwise don't be in 10 Downing Street. Mm. What do you make to that? Uh, Kevin, can I push you just to get you to one if you have to choose one? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you two. The one that Labour... No, not two, one. Right. Labour, Labour, OK. Can I push why. you to give you one? Uh, yeah, I'll, give right, you two. I'll give you one, then. I'll tell you the candidate that Labour would prefer uh, is Rishi Sunak. So Sunak. please vote him in. Don't please. vote in Rishi. He's a globalist shill. Okay. Well, there you go. One for Rishi, one not for Rishi. I want to know, though, where do you stand? I've told you who the eight are. Uh, who is your money on right now? Darren McCaffrey, our political editor, joins us live. Darren, good evening. Your reaction to that? Yeah, really interesting, isn't it, that Sasha Javid, the man who first resigned from Boris Johnson's cabinet last week, the man who started essentially the House of Cards falling apart and made a pretty eviscerating speech after Prime Minister's question time only last Wednesday, didn't make the cuts into the first round. Of course, that threshold was sat at 20 MPs to get in to the first round. Uh, he is not in it. It'll be interesting to see where his supporters over the next 12 hours or so, where do they go? Will he kind of formally back anyone in this uh, race? But yes, we've now got eight candidates in the first round who wants to be the next leader of the Conservative Party, the next Prime Minister. Where we go from next, Michelle, is that voting will take place in Parliament behind me in a secret ballot, if you like, between 1.30 and 3.30 tomorrow afternoon. We should get a result, I would have thought, pretty quickly after 3.30 in the afternoon about who uh, has made it through to the second round. And as always, as they try and whittle down these numbers, that threshold goes from 20 to 30. So you'll need 30 MPs to get through uh, to the second round, which will almost certainly be on Thursday. Who would you think out of that would definitely get through? Well, almost certainly Rishi Sunak, given the fact that he's got over 40, around 50 public backers already. You would have thought also Penny Mordaunt and Liz Truss would do the same. Uh, clearly, some of them, I think, will struggle with that. Maybe Nadim Zahawi, maybe Sir 
well of Raverman, maybe Jeremy Hunt as well. And that's where it gets really complicated and really unpredictable, doesn't it, in this political game, is that it is where those supporters end up, uh, which is crucial in determining who then goes on into the further and further uh, rounds. But it still remains a pretty wide open field, eight candidates in total. It's not a stage at which you stop making predictions about who may well end up in the final two. Mm, fascinating stuff. Thank you very much, Darren. Uh, I tell you, by the way, did you see uh, the goings-on with Labour today, everyone? Um, in fact, I'll ask you. You are Labour man, Kevin. This whole kind of no confidence in the government, mm. because apparently they're so terrified that uh, Boris Johnson will be looking after things over the summer. Uh, if so many MPs are so terrified, why don't they cancel their summer holidays and stay in Parliament where they can watch all the goings-on? Well, Michelle, what happened today was that Labour wanted a vote of no confidence and the government ruled it out. And the Conservative Party, I think, were worried about uh, whether or not they'd survive it. So um, I think it's a real shame that they won't allow the Labour Party's motion to go forward. I don't know why. Why is the Prime Minister staying there? It's, it's to have his wedding. You want, you know, that's, that's what, what, what has he got to offer? I mean, who thinks he's got something to offer for the next till when? September, October? Well, it'll be, yeah, it'll be September. At the moment, it'll be September the 6th, 7th, something like that, won't it? I think the new person's in September the 5th. You take the reins the next day. But why would you want this kind of disruption of he's going, people got what they wanted. You know, I personally think it was a, a witch hunt of epic proportion, but he's nonetheless. Doing a good job then, dear. Do I think he was doing a good yeah. job? I think there were aspects of what he was doing that was a good job. Um, and I think there were aspects of what he was doing that w could have been better. And I think there were some aspects that were wrong. Yeah. But nonetheless, I don't think he was given a fair crack of the whip. I think that the people, uh, various people from the media through to uh, people in his own party, they were relentless, Kevin. Absolutely relentless. I don't think he ever had an opportunity, a fair crack of the whip, to be kind of left alone to get on with a job in hand, actually. And I know that a lot of people that watch this programme, for example, not everybody I know, but there's a lot of people that feel very strongly that they voted for Boris. And yes, I know that that's not technically the system that we have, but nonetheless, they would say that they voted for Boris. They feel very uncomfortable, very angry, actually, at all of the goings-on that was politicking, uh, self-serving interests, as opposed to what was good for the country. So when you talk to me now about let's get him out and let's get some temporary person in for a, a few months, no, I just think it's a disruption too far, unnecessary. Yeah. Where do you stand on it, Lawrence? I thought a vote of no confidence from the opposition was a general election, as far as I was concerned. Um, it, it, Labour can just stay out of the way. You know, the Tories have a way. It's the way that the, our constitution is written and it needs to be done. They've got to have a... I, 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 more broadly, I think that uh, we should have an American primary system whereby anybody can stand to be leader of the Conservative Party or the Labour Party, which the Labour Party did actually go down that line with, and ended up with Jeremy Corbyn, which was hilarious. But I think that, um, yeah, leave him be. I'm with you a bit. He, he, he suffered uh, an enormous witch hunt by the media. But we have to look forward and, and go, who's going to be in charge of that party and who is the best equipped to deal with it? No, guys, I think it's... guys, can I... Sorry to interrupt, Lawrence, only because yeah. you've, you've inspired me to say it by, by what you and Michelle just said. Can we just for a minute please get a little bit real and remember that Boris was the leading 
agitator, dagger wielder, uh, dark tricks maestro when Theresa May was kicked out of office. Okay, yeah, he was politicians. I man. know. That's what so let's put him in. Boris is gone. Oh, Paul no. Boris. Is it? No, not no way. About it. We're just saying that they're oh. politicians. That's what they do for a living. Yeah, they, they, they seek power. That's what they want. It's, we're going to waste the next few months. I respectfully disagree with you both. I think I think it's you know too long. But uh, there we are. As you say, it is up to the Conservative Party. Yeah. And, uh, there's that's the, the problem. The problem is that these people should be voted in by anybody should be able to apply to be the leader of the Conservative Party because you'd actually get some quite interesting candidates and that would be cool. Do you fancy it? No way. Okay. I Checking. hate politics. How can you say you hate politics and then if you're a leader of a political party? How's no, that Because I'm interested in culture. I'm not interested in politics. Uh, po politics is for people that want to be power, have power over other people. I'm, I'm not interested in power over other people. I'm interested in our culture and protecting it because it's valuable. Mm. There you go. So tell us, let's just have a quick whiz through some of these people. So you uh, reckon, Kemi, that's where your money's on, literally, by the way? Have you got your money well, there? Well, I said to Dorbs, can he put 100, so he put 50 quid on her and he's down to win a grand and a bit if she wins at whatever it was. And I said, can you put on 100 quid? And he said he hasn't put the bet down. So I'm now not looking at any money. All right. Well, he might have cost you. So, OK, so your money's on Kemi. Um, your money was on, on two, but eventually on Rishi. Well, yeah. it's, it's the one I'd, I'd like to see win it, because I think that Keir Starmer would wipe the floor with him. But I think the Conservative Party, if it had any sense, would uh, choose Penny Mordaunt, who is, I think, very approachable and a different kind of Tory politician. Just unable to describe what a woman is. I think she got there, though. Well, legally female. She went from trans women are women to yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, you're legally female. It's like, come on, babe. You can't be in charge of the country if you can't define what a woman is. Why are we having in 2022 conversations about what a woman is? Mm. Like, it's, it's utterly misogynistic and reprehensible. And we should be condemning people like Penny Morden and getting her out of the game quick as we can. Do you concede that that will be um, an issue, probably not just in the leadership election, but more broadly in a general election in a couple of years' time, whenever it is, this whole what is a woman, the culture war? Yeah, I, I do. I think because the Conservative Party, and in fact, addressing his backbenchers a few weeks ago, the Boris Johnson was making reference to what we would call on this show cultural issues as an area where he was quite excited about, as he saw it, taking the fight to Labour. I mean, I, I don't think it should be the top thing we're talking about about the future of this country, but it definitely will be an issue because down the pub, in the same way that the Labour Party couldn't win an argument down the pub about why to stay in the EU was a good thing, which I concede, right, couldn't do it, you've got to be down the pub now able to win these debates around around gender and identity and get them out of the way so we can talk about other stuff. Yeah, do you know, I, I quite like Penny. I do. Um, she's, she's smart and lovely. Yeah, but do you know, one of the things that I don't like um, is that whole kind of, you're an MP and you're on a reality TV show. Splash. Yeah, diving. Was she on a uh, TV show? Yeah, Splash. Belly oh, flopped. I don't see, watch TV. I know, see, a lot of people don't realise this. So when you actually look in the media at the moment, there's a lot of pictures of the candidates. So you've got a variety, like Rishi Sunak, whoever. They're all there suited and booted. Then you've got your pictures of Penny Morden in a swimsuit. The reason that she's in a swimsuit is because she took part in a reality TV programme called Splash, where it's Tom Daly, I think it is, the diver. You're trying to get yourself off a diving board into a pool. I think it's wholly inappropriate that serving members of parliament are taking part on taxpayers' dime, being paid a fee as well, 
to go on to reality TV, whether that is going to a jungle and eating kangaroos bits and pieces, whether that's going on diving boards. <laughs> I do, I think that there should be a rule. Yeah. And I think that one of the challenges in society at the moment is a lot of MPs, they're full of themselves. They think that they're celebrities. They're full of their own importance. They think they're so uh, something that they're not. And they often forget that actually you've been elected by the people to do a job. And I think one of the contributing factors to them having this superiority and this feeling is because you see people on places like Strictly Come Dancing, I'm a Celebrity, Splash, whatever it is, and it makes me question your judgment. Well, Am they, I being a bit harsh? Well, they shouldn't also be allowed to take money from the Chinese government either. This is very Sh true. Should they at the same point? I, I, I'm less concerned about Penny Morden jumping off a diving board for cash from ITV or BBC or whatever. So that doesn't bother you? Well, I don't, you know, then they're paid 80 grand a year, right? And we're looking at 20% inflation. So they're now paid 60 grand a year. So, you know, we, well, they we just should... had a pay rise, didn't they? Which Did is they? a lot. Yeah, they just got How themselves a pay get? rise. I think it was about, someone in my ear, correct me, I want to say it was about two point something percent. So, a minus, they took an 18% 18, 18 pay cut. Yeah, but it's more than a lot of people have got. A lot of people watching this programme, first and foremost, they would dream of being anywhere close to an 80 odd grand a year salary, let alone having a pay rise on top of that as well. No, I completely agree. We're, we're, this country is about to face the, the worst cost of living crisis mm -hmm. in its history. And it's a result of absolutely appalling governance. And um, that's going to have to be dealt with. So, you know, there is a cultural issue. 2.7%, there you go. 2.7%. Yeah. 2.7% pay rise. Yeah. But, but, you know, if you're looking at actually what is happening in terms of inflation, we are skyrocketing mm. off, the, off the edge of it. Oh, precipice here yeah. uh, nationally and people haven't seen it yet and come the winter when they have to turn their boiler back on yeah. I get a, my bill was £323 I turned on my electric to cook food and I had a shower every day mm. every month every month so far this calendar year over 2 million people have defaulted on some form of bill council tax mortgage utilities um, and just to go back to the previous point Michelle I think when politicians go on shows like that what they're trying to do is make themselves more accessible right and more human to the electorate and there is an issue I think in our country where politicians from all sides are sometimes quite uh, demonized and dehumanized you know I mean even uh, you know someone like Lawrence putting himself up for elections in the mayor of London this stuff is not you know standing for office is tough right and I am less worried as he is about uh, reality TV shows are some of the other more corrupt stuff there is around British politics. Uh, Joseph has been in touch saying, Michelle, you are a hypocrite. You wanted to be an MP and yet you came from reality TV. Yes, Joseph, you see, the two were not linked there. I wasn't trying to be an MP so that I could then go on reality, reality TV whilst being an MP. That for me, so I don't care about reality TV. If you want to go do reality TV, go do it. My problem is, whilst you're a serving MP, you're supposed to be serving the needs of your constituents. You're not supposed to be hanging around on dance floors, hanging around in jungles, and hanging around on diving boards. That is my sentiment. You are allowed indeed to disagree. Lots of you uh, are disagreeing, saying, Michelle, you are wrong. Uh, she did splash, donate the money. Uh, David says, to an outdoor swimming pool. Someone else has been in touch to say, she got, did it to donate the money to an indoor swimming pool. So you guys are telling me she donated the fee. Fine. 
But really, you need to be on reality TV in a swimsuit in order to get money for a pool. It all seems not? a bit odd to me. Because I just... As I, I'm I, saying, I did I one of those think... reality TV shows and I gave the... I think I got paid 50 grand. And I gave the 50 grand to a veterans charity. But I don't have a problem with people doing reality TV. I was on reality TV. That's not my problem. My problem is the correlation between you are in office as a member of parliament and then you're doing reality TV whilst that is your job. That's, for me, the timing. You're being Do very it after strict. you leave office. You're being very quite, strict. You're being quite, very Victorian. You're, you're being quite Victorianly prudish. Good. <laughs> That's what I like. Hello there. Welcome back to Jubes & Co. with me, Michelle Jubery. Oh, what have I just been called a minute ago? A Victorian prude. A Victorian prude, that's what I was just called, uh, before the break, uh, by Lawrence Fox, who's keeping me company tonight, and also Kevin Craig, uh, who's the CEO founder of PLMR. Um, lots of you guys getting in touch tonight. Not happy with me, I can tell you. I was just saying, I like Penny Mordaunt, but I'm uncomfortable with serving members of parliament going into reality TV shows whilst they're in office. You lot are quite cross with me uh, for saying that, Joe says. Don't demean the woman. Uh, it was years ago. Yeah, I'm not demeaning anybody. I'm just saying that for me personally, I don't think a serving member of parliament should be allowed to go, whether it's dancing, eating, whatever it is, on reality TV. I just don't think it's appropriate. I think it creates a celebrity culture in politics. And I think the last thing that we need right now is more celebrity uh, in politics, that's just my personal preference. And suffice to say that uh, almost all of you disagree with me. But luckily for me, I've got thick skin, so that's all right. Uh, OK, today, another day and another report uh, into the whole kind of grooming gang situation. We talk about this frequently, so you'll know what I'm referring to. Uh, this time, it was Telford. Now, Maggie Oliver, the former detective and whistleblower who exposed the Rochdale grooming scandal, joins us now Maggie, good evening to you. Um, we speak often on this topic, don't we? And I feel like it's the same stuff, different day. So let's try and look forward. In your view, is some of the things that we're experiencing in these reports, are they still happening in this country? They absolutely are, Michelle. And, you know, I share your despair um, that this is another day, another town, another report, and yet every single one says the same thing. You know, children being blamed, authorities failing. And um, in every single case, we get the chief constables and the senior um, officials coming out and saying, these are in the past, things have changed. And I quote from the um, assistant chief constable today who said, Again, sorry, uh, but we're in a different place now. There are no excuses for the past. Give you assurances that we have made vast improvements by the way we tackle these crimes. Dedicated teams, specially trained officers. And what I would like to do is remind your listeners, your viewers, that yesterday, uh, young Samantha, who is a survivor from Telford, came on um, GB News and spoke of an incident last week where specially trained officers from Telford on those uh, particular units turned up at her house and intimidated her and told her not to speak to the media about what she had experienced. That, to me, shows a complete lack of understanding, uh, a reluctance to change, a uh, determination to cover up what is going on and frighten victims not to speak out. And when you join that alongside the fact that in the Maggie Oliver Foundation today, 
we are dealing with 460 live cases of survivors of abuse and current victims of grooming gangs um, throughout the country, that will tell you that this is still a very real and current problem. And that is why it is so important to highlight them like you do. And we still have no senior officers having been held accountable. We have the same recommendations, which are just recommendations. They are not uh, obliged to carry through these recommendations. And that is why we are stuck in Groundhog Day time and time again. And I am just sick of the same excuses and pretends that these are problems of the past when they are not. So what one thing, Maggie, do you think needs to happen to try and get to grips with this in the here and now? Communication and honesty. Um, speak and work with organisations like the Maggie Oliver Foundation. The police are stuck in the past. They are under-resourced, but they need to look at different ways of dealing with this kind of crime. We need to understand why these grooming gangs are still escaping uh, prosecution on a monumental scale. We need to know why this is happening and we need to challenge it face on openly and get to grips with why it is happening. And a great deal of the trust, the loss of trust of the, the victims and the, the public is because of apologies that actually bear no relevance and no honesty within them. Uh, another day, another apology, another report and nothing changes. And that is where uh, the authorities are, change, are, are failing massively. Maggie Oliver, thanks again for your time and, of course, for all the work that you do on this. We'll speak again. Sometimes I say, I want to say, unfortunately, because what I mean by that is I think we're going to keep going around these circles, but I always like to talk to you, so it's fortunate from that perspective. You know what I mean. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Lawrence Fox, what do you make of all this? Uh, another day, another report. I feel I get these reports and I feel I could literally just tip X out the location and just change it for pretty much any location. It's the same stuff often, day after day, report after report. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think we should all condemn systemic rape of young white women at the hands of mainly Pakistani men. And, um, and I think we should stop beating around the bush. And we should say that this is a cultural issue, again, because um, of the immigration issue in England where certain cultures self-isolate and away and they, and they look at young white women as doable, as, as far as I'm concerned. And I think that this, this endless thing, that you, 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 I looked at a Thames Valley Police tweet yesterday that said, we're going to make it an anti-racist police force. And I'm like, why don't you just solve crime? This is very much a culturally based uh, rape, systemic rape of young white women because they're seen as devalued and undervalued by a certain subsect of the British population. And either you get on board and you say, we're British and we stand against systemic rape of women, or you turn around and say, if you're going to bring these cultural values that you think are, are appropriate to your culture, we do not accept them. And, we, and I think these people should be removed from this country, thrown out. So hold on, because I want to ask you about a couple of points. But in this report today, and I, I'm reading word for word, it would be wholly wrong and undoubtedly racist to equate membership of a particular racial group with propensity to commit child uh, sex exploitation. And often, because I try very hard, I want to make sure my facts are all ticked and ready to go when we're doing these kind of topics. And 
It seems to be quite tricky to get factual information it's about the ethnicity. It's not being done by Indian men. It's not being done by... Uh, it, 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 this is a very specific problem to the uh, culturally self-isolating Pakistani community who see young white women as rapeable. And that, I'm afraid, in modern Britain is unacceptable. But where do you get your facts from to back that up? Because I was trying, because that's my the sentiment. Court. That's my sentiment, by the way. That's the court. Uh, that there so is who's a... getting convicted? Yeah, because I, I've been trying very hard and I find conflicting information. Sometimes people will say or some kind of uh, people will allude to it is a predominantly British Pakistani men. Other things will say, you know, we've got no real kind of basis in which to describe the ethnicity as this or that or the other. So I feel like there's con uh, conflicting. Speak, speak, speak to... When I, when I ran for London Mayor, I went to meet a load of people from death, different ethnic mi minorities. And one of the things that really upset me was stabbings. It really, really bothered me because Sadiq Khan did nothing about it and continues to do nothing about people stabbing each other. And when you go meet... Uh, people from dif different ethnic minorities, they'll tell you who are responsible for the stabbings. And we've got to be honest and turn around and say, this is a problem of British Pakistani men who are who think it's OK to say white women, white young girls, and rape them because they, they value them less than the wives that they're going to have in the future. And we've just got to be straight about it and condemn it. Yeah. Utterly. And, I... and, and if they don't want to condemn it, then get out. That's yeah, and I, I do feel as well that one of the things is that ethnicity is not uh, routinely captured in some of these things when it comes to data collection. And I think that that is something that needs to be worked on. So officially, the capturing of that information, I personally think, is key to some of this. Mm. Uh, Kevin, where do you stand on this? Well, um, I served 17 years as a councillor in Lambeth, in London, in two stints. Um, and I've sat in council chambers where a leader of a local authority has apologised to victims in the gallery for kids that were abused and raped whilst notionally under the care of the council. My experience, not just of what historically happened in Lambeth, but elsewhere, is that, regrettably, these crimes can be conducted or committed by people of any ethnicity, colour, race or creed. I mean, that's just what I have seen. I don't think we should shy away from, in individual circumstances, describing what happened, if there was a dominant factors in certain events. But men of all races abuse women and children. I mean, that's, I think that is the point. And I think all of us would condemn that out of hand. Um, so, I, and I, you, you asked a question today, is it all historic? It isn't historic. Things, you know, authorities now, they're more vigilant. You know, there's, you know, once looked after kids in Lambeth two years, two years ago, presented to us as counsellors, and they were such wonderful children, you know, that they moved me to tears. But whilst humans are what they are, this is, we're never done with this. And it's about, like the amazing lady said there, vigilance. Uh, I believe that these heinous crimes are not restricted to people of one ethnic background. In my experience, I've seen it white men, black men, Pakistani, Indian. I've seen Irish. Don't start me on, on, on the, the, the Catholic Church. But if, if, we, if, we, if we're incapable of, of saying 
this is very much restricted to a particular group. I totally agree with you, by the way, that all human beings, so I'm not being in any way prejudicial towards one ethnic group or another, all human beings, and particularly men, are violent, evil, horrible people who are capable of rape and all this. But time and time again, we're seeing the same thing happen. And if we cannot culturally isolate it and go, right, this is coming from the fact that young white women are seen as fair play, from a certain community, you don't get that particularly from the Sikh community or the Hindu community. You don't get it. It doesn't happen. Yes, it happens. People rape and it happens and it's dreadful. But it's a particular part of our culture. And the police who should, instead of trying to focus on being anti-racist, what the police should focus on is trying to go, we police without fear or favour or, co or colour of skin and just go, right, it is this group, we're going to involve ourselves. That's what they did after Stephen Lawrence and that's what the McPherson report said. We are systemically racist. So stop being systemically racist against these white young girls. Yeah. I, just to say, though, I, 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 my experience is that uh, the police, local they've made mistakes, of course they have, but... The police, they want to stop this. Local authorities, they want to stop this. Mistakes have been made with horrific consequences. I just probably don't... I don't feel that we're shying away from stuff. I think there's a big light being shone on this. Thank God. Maggie, uh, Oliver, I think that you're still with us. After Even after I said my farewells, I think you're still there. Uh, you've just been listening to this. Uh, what would you respond? I mean, you just heard Lawrence. Lawrence uh, is of the mindset that this is a particular uh, part of a particular community. Do, where do you sit with this? What is your experience and thoughts? You know what, it's been a really interesting debate because this is why we still have the problem um, there are two very different points of view in your debate there. And I have to say that I agree with elements of both. Um, child abuse and rape is endemic in all communities. So like the Catholic Church, we had the priests, we had, um, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, all the rest of it. But I have to agree with Lawrence and with yourself, the ethnicity of the offenders in these grooming gangs is deliberately not recorded. And if you don't record, you don't understand and you don't question why. And my work of the past 10 years, although in the foundation we support victims of sexual abuse in all communities, when you come to grooming gang abuse, it is predominantly Pakistani men. And that is part of the culture. And unless we grasp that nettle and ask the question why, and we do not turn away from it, and we don't, um, you know, we're not frightened of facing that uncomfortable reality, then we are failing the survivors and victims who continue to be at the mercy of these gangs. There is something within um, that community that, uh, turns away from this problem. And I would like to see all the millions of uh, decent, upstanding Pakistani Muslim citizens in this country shout out about it in the same way that we are and address it. Because at the moment, um, there is a deathly silence about it. And yet it is a very real problem that we see every day. And you only have to open a newspaper, Michelle, to see the ethnicity of the offenders in this particular kind of sexual abuse. Um, and we still don't grasp it as a country, and we have to. We have to record it. We have to question why. And uh, like Lauren says, when we find the reasons, which we kind of know, we have to tackle it head on, or we are going to be still having these reports in another 10 years' time. Yeah, see, this is, I mean, what you highlight there I find quite interesting because you're quite right, I, um, Maggie. You know, most people's 
eyes, they work. When you see these kind of reports, you can see the similarities between a lot of the people that uh, you know, have been convicted or whatever it is. Surely then, because the police forces must know, they must know that, right, people are reading these reports, they're seeing these pictures, they're seeing these faces, they're going to put two and two together, so what we need to do there is supply facts. Surely they would want to proactively record the ethnicity so that actually kind of data is telling the story rather than anecdotes or whatever else it is. So why would they even shy away from collecting that data? That's the bit I don't get. I just don't think they want to put, you know, when you've got the statistics and the facts, you can no longer pretend that it's not happening. And But the, the cat is out of the bag. When I first began speaking out 10 years ago, Michelle, these gangs were referred to as Asian grooming gangs. And I remember first saying, no, they are predominantly Pakistani men, which they are. They are not Japanese or Chinese or from Thailand. Um, and yet there was a real reluctance to acknowledge that truth. And unless for me, the truth is always where you start. Um, and we tiptoe around that truth. And we even this, uh, re this response from the police does not acknowledge that reality. It talks about training and new ways of working and, you know, teams being put together. They don't grasp the actual nettle. And I think we need to open up conversations within the community that the perpetrators come from, because it isn't us and them. It should be us all together in this country. And I have to agree with Lawrence that if somebody lives in this country and feels it's okay to have sex with an 11-year-old child, I'm sorry, send them out of the country, put them in prison, because that is not the law of the land. And we cannot fail children because it's an uncomfortable subject to tackle head on. So, that you know, I, I think it really has to be um, opened up and... Uh, questions asked why and statistics gathered. And at the foundation, we are gathering those statistics. So, you know, we are a place where we know from figures and victims the, the ethnicity of offenders. And that is critical in my, in my opinion. Yeah, indeed. I couldn't agree with you more. I've got to say, it's not uncomfortable to me. I think it's an essential conversation that we need to be having. Uh, thanks again, Maggie Oliver. I'll come back to you, Kevin, very quickly. Uh, what do you say back to that? Well, what, I mean, the people who do these crimes, we find out about them, we convict them, we send them to prison. Um, and we're talking about examples where there's a high number of men from a Pakistani background who've been convicted of these crimes. But I, I don't, I'm not quite sure what, what we're not doing here because Anybody who does this, we want to convict them and send them to prison. We want to protect every child. I don't know of the quantum of all these crimes every year, what percentage are committed by, for example, people of Pakistani origin across the country. That is an important statistic. But if someone that deals with this on a day-in, day-out, former detective, if what she's saying is it's predominantly people from within this collective and that she feels that the culture specifically is driving some of that behaviour or aspects of that culture or interpretation or whatever you want to word it as, then surely that is a key point in understanding what's going on, accepting that, acknowledging that, to fixing it. Well, I mean, the Catholic Church has come out and talked about these issues and apologised. And if there are specific reasons, I mean, I, I just don't, underst I, I don't understand quite what is happening because 
Okay, and I don't know the scale of the whole sexual offence. It's interesting that you say the Catholic Church, which is interesting. So you go, the Catholic Church has admitted to these heinous crimes against young boys. But at the same time, you find it difficult to say British Pakistani men are raping white British women. Some. Some British. Some. 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 I meant to say that. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that that on on the one hand, we're able to go, the church is responsible. But on the other hand, we're not able to say... I I don't have a problem saying with the summing, because that's factually correct. I mean, I wouldn't... But I I don't understand, I don't know what percentage of the overall situation we're talking about. And that's what I think is important, you know, because... Well, you you just have to look at newspapers. Well, what is it it then? Well, I mean... But it's important. What, right? the exact statistic? Well, no, otherwise, what are we talking about? Well, I th- OK, Google it. Go, go, that doesn't make for very good telly or radio. Let me... Um, 90%. Let me read some statements out, shall I? Westminster Police have apologised to victims. Uh, let's listen to some of what they had to say. While there were no findings of corruption, our actions fell far short of the help and protection that you should have had from us. It was unacceptable and we let you down. Telford and Reckon Council have also issued a statement saying the following. Child sexual exploitation is a vile crime that disgusts us and all right-thinking people. The Independent Inquiry acknowledges that we have made significant improvements in recent years. So there you go. Um, alas, it's all well and good making significant improvements here, there and everywhere, isn't it? Uh, but not so good if the problem continues. Tell me, where do you stand on it all? GBviews at gbnews.uk is the email. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes. Hello there. Welcome back to Jubes & Co. with me, Michelle Jubery. Now, if you're a keen viewer, you will might have noticed that we're down a panellist tonight... If you're sitting there thinking, what's gone on? It's deliberate because for one week only, I'm trialling what it's like to have two panellists rather than three on this show. I want your thoughts on that. So let me know your thoughts. Do you prefer two panellists or three? My two tonight keeping me company. We've got Lawrence Fox, who's the leader of the Reclaim Party, and Kevin Craig, who's the founder and CEO of PLMR. Now, for our show, 7 o'clock, will be hosted by Patrick Christie's tonight. Patrick, what have you got for us? We've got absolutely loads. I've got an exclusive for you. I've been to Wickford in Essex to investigate a shocking case of an asylum seeker hotel. But there's much more to it than meets the eye, ladies and gentlemen. You are not going to want to miss that, let me tell you. Also, of course, the Grooming Gang report is out from Telford. We'll be delving into that. And what's that? Can anyone hear something? Is that the sound of... I think it might be breaking news. That's right. The Conservative leadership race is on. And we'll give you the latest on that. 7 to 8. Look forward to it. We'll see you then, Patrick. Right, let's talk COVID, shall we? There's been an increase in hospitals and other care services asking staff and patients to wear masks. Uh, The reason for this is a so-called rise in COVID cases. Data from the Office for National Statistics say last week, one in 25 people in England had COVID. That's up from one in 30 the previous week. Uh, If we look at France, Germany, Cyprus and even Australia... They say that they're considering reintroducing masks, particularly in public places. Makes me want to headbutt the desk, so it does. Uh, But, Kevin, where do you stand on it all? Well, I've been following this very closely, Michelle, um, because none of us, I think, want to go back to uh, masks and go back to where we were. But I tend to still listen to medical advice. Um, I don't want to go back to where we were, but these new variants... I listen to the scientists. and well, I think these mild variants. Yeah, I think they've got our best interests at heart. I think the massive difference is vaccines, right? 
as to where we were. I know some of us, you might hear from someone in a minute who never believed in wearing masks ever. But just before we come to that... <laughs> I'm still alive! In case that, in case that happens, um, vaccines are now, they've changed the game, I hope. And I think that I would love it if we could avoid going back. But I don't have this um, deep, intense, uh, if you like, hatred or or irritation about the fact that we were asked to wear masks. The intentions of our health advisors, our doctors, were noble. Even, dare I say it, the Prime Minister. They wanted to save lives and protect the NHS. While getting pissed in the garden with well, lots of his mates. Drunk is yeah. the word. Like, yes. I'm not sorry, gonna, sorry. Yeah. My, my. But that's, I think, you know, listen to the scientists and Listen to and the, the scientists, experts. then totally ignore them and have massive loads of parties. Agreed. Oh, don't. I'm not standing Come up. Come on, nothing's theatre, it's rubbish. The master, I mean, if you eat anyone with half a brain, if you can put on one of those P95 or whatever they call them, P45 things, and you wear it all day, it might protect you assiduously from getting ill from other people. Yeah. But we've just created this culture where, where people think that compliance to something is somehow serving other people. But actually, you're just handing your civil liberties to everyone on, on, a, on a plate. And when you say, talk about scientists, there is not a single study that says wearing these silly masks do any good at all. And the reason why when you go into a doctor's office or a dentist and they don't put a mask on you is because they don't want to drop stuff on in your face. But there are, the but hang on, because there are reports that say that masks do do stuff. They seem well, they're written be... by Klaus Schwalb. No, but there seems to, to me to be contradictory evidence because you can find uh, reports and surveys, whatever you want to call them, but you can find uh, official documentation that says that masks make a difference. Then you can find contradictory uh, reports that say they make minimal difference. Well, you can just look at the data and see that those that had mask mandates didn't make any difference. Those that did have masks didn't make any difference. Those that had COVID mandates didn't make any difference. You just look at the actual data and the data is it doesn't make any difference. It's a virus. It's endemic. It's, it's got an R naught of what, uh, 13 or something like that. You're t everyone's got it. So you wouldn't wear them if it was if it came back in... So you had to wear masks again and all of it. Would you not conform to that? No, I would do exactly what I did throughout the whole of the COVID uh, public health experiment disaster and invite my friends around for dinner, not have masks and ignore the government because it's not the government's position to tell me what to do. Would you go around to one of his dinner parties then? No, I mean... We do talk about lefty stuff sometimes. I just, uh, I, I, this, I just don't, un you know, I'm, I just don't understand the mindset of... Uh, Why would you want to cover your... Uh, for a child who's, who's in school... Why would you want that child not to know? When I look at my kids, and I'm annoyed with my kids, I go like this, right? And I look at them like that. But they also are seeing this, and whatever my facial expression is. Yeah. Why would you deprive a child? And they're showing that there's IQ drops in children. This mask stuff, if they try it on again, I hope the great British public will turn around and go... Well, oh, look, oh. let's go to... That's a really interesting point, Michelle, because I think people, in part because of the behaviour in number 10... People will, unfortunately, in my view, be less willing to be compliant for the greater good this time around. And that's why I really hope... Com did you just say compliant for the greater good? Yeah, yeah. If there's a national... Hang on, then. If the, oh, it's it. Talking about COVID is so la last year, in it? But look, if we're on it, uh, it was important in a pandemic that we all tried to pull together, 
to protect our health service and listen to well-intended medical advice. We've got waiting lists, record waiting lists. We didn't protect our health service. We just we condemned had, about but it six million people it, to death. It didn't, it didn't, because it while didn't they did TikTok crumble, videos... It didn't crumble, and it's like sometimes... I wanted to one crumble. Gets the, do you? Yeah, I do. I don't want I want to turn it. To I want it to turn into the National Emergency Service. Not the national, not the national yeah. health service. I don't want to be paying for people to have gender reassignment surgery, and I don't want waiting lists at record numbers while nurses do TikTok videos. When you go into accident emergency, Please. when you go into accident emergency, you yeah. are treated by the finest in the world. I don't want to pay for some bureaucrat three miles up the list to come up with some stupid mask mandate. It's a waste of time. Well, but you need your bureaucrats to organise yeah. your frontline. You people. only need one. Yeah, what, so 35. One, one manager. You just need you need a manager and then I, you need a ward. I take a, a, a much more overall positive view of what goes on in the NHS day in day out. It needs constant reform, constant improvement. Of course, it's not perfect, but the things that I think make you very very upset. Uh, I, oh, I prefer, well, yeah, I'm irritated, call it what you want, right? Well, I'm just saying we've got massive waiting lists. I'm like, what, what, what good is our health service when you can't get but treated? We had, to, we had to try and control the numbers of people being killed by this disease. It made until no difference, though. Come. Statistically, it made no difference. Well, I think there's, so, a, there's a debate to be had about that. Well, there isn't. It's all, the data's out. Look oh, at, there is. Look at Florida, look at all the places, that, look at Texas, look at the places that didn't lock down. Same cases, same deaths, same everything. Actually, some of them did better than other places. Mm. Look at France, look at Italy. Look, it, it, it's not controversial it to say what that masks said. don't work. Lockdowns are the cruelest and most disgusting thing that could have ever have been unleashed upon humanity. And if you, if they're going to try it on us again, I will call for a revolution against them on this. It's appalling. Well, yeah. Do are, we not want... be, are you not going to be a part of that revolution? I, I just think, think I think I just disagree with so much what Lawrence says. Um, okay. But you know that's healthy, well, there right? You go. These two disagree with each other. Um, I'm more on your, your side of the fence than yours, as you know. But I would dispute some of what you say because you're like you're like they make no difference. They did nothing. They like mm -hmm. didn't. I would kind of row back from that, and I would be like, actually, would you wear, would you wear a mask again, some... Michelle? Would I wear a mask again? If someone said to you, get a mask on. Uh, in any in any random setting of life, no, absolutely not. Just in not. your life. But if I was in a, a hospital with someone very ill and it was a surgical mask that was worn properly for a period of time in a surgical environment to help someone that was very sick, probably in that environment, but nowhere else, no. So that's um, fair enough, actually. NHS, but you would also expect then the people that clean our hospitals and where all the transmission took place in the first place to make sure our hospitals are clean. But they yeah, can't. Possibly. Well, you, there you go. You tell me, where do you stand? Um, you know, lots of people are saying, why? Why do we have to go back to these masks? John says, it's urgent to resume back with masks. I am an eight-year-old eight with a heart condition, fully jabbed. Uh, please look after us careful oldies, Bill says. I will never wear a mask again, never. Uh, Pauline says... They're reintroducing masks to cover up the fact that everyone's teeth are falling out because they can't get access to a dentist. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what good. you guys say. Uh, I was asking for your opinions as well, wasn't I, uh, <laughs> about do you prefer two panellists or do you prefer three? Do let me know your thoughts because I'm trialling the two for a week uh, to see how you like it. Lots of mixed response, by the way, about whether or not MPs should do uh, reality TV shows. Probably split now. Some of you have come out in my defence. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And lots of thanks for us talking about those grooming gangs. I promise you, uh, we will always keep a focus on that crucial topic uh, and people should not be turning a blind eye to it. Thank you to my panel. Thank you to you at home for keeping me company. Have a good one and I'll see you tomorrow.
Thanks for listening to Jubes and Cur, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time.